HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today with Burma superstar Desmond Tan. Kate Leahy is co-author of this wonderful cookbook, but even before that, an outstanding restaurant in San Francisco. To contextualize what Burma superstar is, we're going to have to talk about Clement Street in Chinatown and how Asian food fell underneath this large umbrella of egg foo young and Mongolian beef. But w- what really is Burmese cuisine? Well, Burmese food is um, a, a mixture of. Um, well, let's go back to where Burma is. Burma is surrounded by China, Thailand, India, you know, Bangladesh. But basically, it's just where um, uh, India meets China. So you get a lot of spices from those countries and. Um, uh, influence from those countries, but at the same time, there are a lot of Burmese dishes that are just uniquely Burmese. But because of the surrounding countries, you know, um, you'll, a lot of the dishes will remind you of. I mean, some of the dishes will be Chinese, remind you of Chinese food. So some, maybe Indian food, and some maybe Thai food. So you know, it's a, a mix of different things at the same time. You know, they're very uniquely Burmese. Yeah, is, is it funny to be talking about food or, or cooking or having a restaurant, being that boys didn't really grow up learning how to cook in Burma? Right, correct. Um, but I, I knew how to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and I love eating. 
And, um, you know, growing up, you know, e eating Burmese food and, you know, we love food and always ate two, three meals a day. Um, my favorite food's always been Burmese, you know, growing up eating Burmese food. Yeah, Kate already told me to ask you about Mohinga later in the thing, and you'll, right. you'll light up, you'll glow, because not only is that considered a national dish of Burma, it is one of your favorite dishes of yeah, all time. Absolutely. I'm training my daughter to really love that dish. <laughs> and uh, she's four and a half years old now, and... Um, a year ago, you know, Mohinga, you know, I asked her, hey, what's your favorite, you know, restaurant? She's learned to say Burma Superstar. <laughs> and what's your favorite dish? That's complex, too. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your favorite uh, dish, Mohinga? It's kind of strange for a little girl to really love that dish because it's just a pretty pungent dish. Um, you know, slow cook with uh, catfish until broken down, you know, onion, garlic, and a lot of different flavors, spices. Pretty complex. Yeah, but you deeply care about instilling your background in your daughter or in, in the restaurant itself. Uh, it's important. I, I think that, you know, she will learn, you know, what being American is or, you know, by going to school, being America. But I think... Um, it's also in, important for her to, uh, you know, understand where her parents are from. Yeah. So, well, so, I mean, where you were yeah. from in, in the 1960s, there were anti-Chinese demonstrations. Right. In, in the 70s, your family relocated to San Francisco. And right. in the 90s, you were involved in the tech boom right. uh, in San Francisco, in Silicon Valley. Uh, that's very different than raising somebody or growing up. Um, it, you know, I... Um, I, I think um, it's. I'm fortunate that you know. I I, I feel like I born almost raised in Burma. Uh, I still speak the language fairly fluently, and I under, I feel like uh, I know American culture really well. And um, I'm fortunate, you know, putting those two together. What is it that America wants to eat? And how do I, you know, and I love Burmese food. How do I translate that, you know, so that um, people can enjoy the food? So there are a lot of dishes, you know, tea leaf salad, mohinga, ono kausue, you know, all the curries are interesting. You know, a lot of different countries make curries many different ways, but I just happen to love Burmese curries, which is similar to Southern Indian curries. Yeah, so. I know the first time I ever came to your restaurant, I was smitten, but I, it was so exotic. Things were so familiar, but the setup of how dishes were arriving at the table or were supposed to be engaged with was so exotic to me that I, I didn't know what to do. And uh, Kate, I don't know if you felt the same way the first time you encountered Burma Superstar. Well, it was, it was hard for me to figure out what flavors went together and at what time. But one thing, it was beyond the flavors, it was the textures, like what you were saying about how these dishes come together. I mean, you, you're presented with a tea leaf salad and rather than having it mixed at the table, it's, it's in all these different little piles and you have a pile of the tea leaf you know, uh, the fermented tea leaf, the lapet, but you also have, you know, all these seeds and nuts and um, lettuce and tomato and jalapeno. So it's like, what what do all these things have in common? This is not like um, other styles of Southeast Asian food I've eaten. And I lived in the Philippines when I was really little. So I thought there's certain flavor profiles that I would be familiar with. And it's true, like certain like pungency of shrimp paste and fish sauce. But when it comes to, say, tea leaf salad, that was whole new world for me yeah well i also love that desmond you were a customer you actually right. bought super uh, burma superstar from the original owner so what, what was its in initial iteration like um well maybe goes a little bit further back uh in the um you know late 70s no in the um 
The restaurant opened in 19, about 92. And there were only two restaurants, you know, um, and Burma Superstar was the only one that our family and friends went to. You know, the, you can't get Burmese food anywhere else aside from your family. And my mom always joked around. No, she didn't. She was she was serious. I don't know if she was serious <laughs> or she was joking around. She said, um, you know, because I don't cook, she said, what are you going to eat when I die? So and that, that kind of, you know, I always remember that. Um, and then one day I, I was um, at Burma Superstar uh, on a Saturday about 1 o'clock eating um, uh, at Burma Superstar with then my, my girlfriend, um, later, you know, the, my wife and uh, business partner was asking me, oh, why don't you buy it? <laughs> so I was always saying, what do I know about restaurant? I know nothing. You know, then she said, well, how, diffi- how difficult can it be? <laughs> and so, uh, okay, so I just kind of put, put that aside. But I did ask for the, uh, the owner's number just so that, you know, I wanted to know what happened. So Sunday, the next day, I was in my office at 10 p.m. So I thought, maybe, sh- yeah, shit, what am I going to eat? You know, where am I going to eat Burmese food? There were no Burmese food And, and it was, was going to be turned into a Chinese restaurant. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. 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 It was sold to a Chinese restaurant tour. <laughs> so, um, so I called the guy, hey, you know what, um, uh, is it sold? He said, yeah, it's sold, but it's not concrete. You know, the, the deal is not signed yet. Can you back out of it? You know, if you can, I'll, I'll pay you 10, 15% more, you know, whatever it is. Um, and uh, he and I told him I wanted to keep it a Burmese, you know, restaurant and uh, as a Burmese restaurant. So, okay, let me see what I can do. I think uh, he, uh, he worked out something. Okay, you know, I might be able to back out of the deal. Why don't you come and look at it tomorrow? So that was a Monday. So I went in to look at the restaurant on Monday. You know, it was it was a dump in the hole in the wall. You know, if you're looking at, if you want to know the quality of the restaurant, you know, go to the restroom, that type of a deal. You go into the restroom, you wouldn't want to go back there. It, it was that bad. <laughs> and uh, But long, to make the long story short, um, you know, I say, I'll take it. Um, based on the fact, based on, you know, certain criteria that I can't, uh, uh, keep the existing staff in the kitchen. And I said, that shouldn't be a problem. And I was asking them, well, how much do they make? Uh, they, he gave me X amount. Okay, no problem. I, I definitely could keep, you know, give them a raise. Um, so um, Wednesday, we signed the deal. So within three days of um, hearing from, you know, the, hearing that the restaurant was uh, closing on Wednesday, we, we bought the restaurant. Yeah. And I knew nothing about operating a restaurant. But you said, you know, we're going to open at 10 a.m. tomorrow because I'll be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that the first thing you really do did was reevaluate the menu. Because there were things like egg foo young, Mongolian beef, what, uh, Southeast Asian chicken salad. I mean, right. these were Asian with air quotes. They weren't Burmese. Singapore style noodles too. Yeah, <laughs> that's mainly because I think the owners wanted to maximize their business, and uh, there were a lot of um, Asians, but but Chinese Asians who who who, um, who who ate and live around there. So I think that they were trying to um, uh, serve to those people in the neighborhood. So that's why they keep adding the uh, Chinese restaurants. Um, but that's not what I wanted to eat that's not what I wanted to serve my family and friends who comes to the restaurant so we took out a lot of the Fu Young Singapore style noodles and 
Mongolian beef and cashew chickens. <laughs> I think we shaved probably about 50 dishes. If you think our, our menu is pretty extensive now, you should have seen it before. <laughs> so. It was one of the numbered right. Asian menus where right. you just point and say, 13, please. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Kate, let's talk about this tea leaf salad because this is kind of the ubiquitous dish of Burma Superstar, even though there's a huge menu, as you just said. Um, for people that don't know what tea leaf salad is, I know we talked about how it was comprised, but what are the flavors like? What is so different and exhilarating about having that for the first time? Well, I, I think it goes back to what lo, what the tea leaf is. And um, the tea leaf, or as they say in uh, Burmese, the lapet, is a fermented tea leaf where, um, you know, you, you there's a special part of, of Burma where they grow the tea leaf specifically for making fermented tea leaf. And uh, they ferment it, and it can stand aground as it ferments for six months to two years. And in that process, it takes on this really deep, Funkiness, And I know funkiness is such a vague kind of descriptor, but to me, it's like overripe mango, um, bamboo. These are sort of things like the aroma that you get from it. But if you eat it just as it's fermented, it's very bitter. It's very astringent. So what what um, what you need to do with it is soak it. And then oftentimes it's seasoned with garlic or ginger. But the really good stuff, the pre- premium stuff, and Desmond knows all about the different times of year where you pick the premium stuff. It has a much sweeter quality and there's a lot higher antioxidant level. Um, so when you have those flavors, this like this deep sort of overripe mango slash bamboo slash just earthiness it's it's unlike anything else i've ever tried and it doesn't taste like green tea yeah (laughs) but this was not a specialty item in burma this is something that people had in their pantry all year round um you know not ubiquitous to burma superstar but ubiquitous in the whole country of burma everybody ate the you know the tea leaf salad but not as a not as an appetizer like we eat it here in the U.S., but they, they eat it as snack uh, midday and late in the afternoon, usually with uh, either beer or tea. And that, that was their, you know, snack. And uh, Right, like the snack packets right, that you right. see all <laughs> yeah, over right. all over um, in Mandalay and, right. and Yangon and all over the countryside. You have like instead of like a bag of chips, you have a bag of like this lapette with crunchy bits. And that would be a little snack. And I, I think, um, Desmond, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think... Um, you know, students will get these little snack packs because the the tea does have caffeine, and it will give you that little boost. And I think <laughs> you know, keep them up, uh, maybe absolutely. that's yeah. part of what makes it so addictive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking about seasonality, and obviously, there's a certain season where you grow tea and pick tea, and then it ranges from anywhere from six months to two years, as you said, while it ferments. But let's talk about the seasonality of a monsoon region. Because, I mean, looking at the pictures in the book alone, it looks so lush and beautiful. But uh, there are distinctly different ends to that season. Um, what is an annual like weather cycle or growing cycle like in Burma? Um, I, I would say it's, there's, like, there's basically two, when it's dry and when it's wet. <laughs> and when it's dry, um, it's actually the best time of year to visit the country. But um, you're going to have... S- some of the um, ingredients are going to be a little bit more um, limited because you're not getting as much rain. So um, you see 
Um, a lot of, uh, say, dried beans will be prepared as side dishes. Um, there's always Chinese mustard and cauliflower, but you move into the rainy season, and then all of a sudden there's water spinach everywhere. Then you're getting a lot more fruit, like the variety of fruit just increases. Um, you get papaya year-round, but in the, the rainy season you get all these other tropical fruits too. Yeah, yeah. you know, another veggie that, um, that resonates really well with um, most, almost all these Southeast Asian countries, but relatively unheard of here in the U.S. or I think in Filipino, they might call it Kong Kong. Do you know? Or watercrest? Oh, yeah, um, sure. There, there isn't a word for it in the U.S., but it, it, it grows in a pond. It's basically a, a peasant veggie because it's, it's just everywhere. Do you know what which one I'm talking about? When we go to Burma, we eat it. They, they cook it with shrimp paste. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, you say they cook it with shrimp paste, but I think there's a lot of things in Burma <laughs> cooked with shrimp paste. Right, right. right. Well, that, yeah. yeah, and that's actually one of the things, too, that um, this is more of a year-round um, like specialty. Well, specialty for us, but very ubiquitous there is sour leaf. Mm-hmm. And um, it's uh, part of the hibiscus family. And the leaf itself is sort of a reddish-green color. But when you cook it, it turns more of an army green brown. And But if you pair it with bamboo and shrimp and maybe a little fish sauce or sh- uh, shrimp paste, you have this classic Burmese dish. And we saw that pretty much in the dry season and in the wet season. It's just delicious. Yeah. I mean, outside of these few different flavor profiles, um, there's something comforting about Burmese food, even if you don't know it. Uh, you know, aside from the tea leaf salad and having things like, you know, what was it? Uh, romaine, fried yellow beans, fried garlic, sesame, fresh tomatoes, jalapenos, dried shrimp. Um, a lot of the textures and flavors seem very similar because of cooking techniques. The stews, the kebabs, or kebabs, um, we know these things here in the U.S. now. What do people not know when they first come into Burma Superstar that you feel like, as a restaurateur, you have to explain? Well, interestingly enough, um, you know, Burma did just open, you know, really open in 2013, 2014. Um, I think a lot of people are visiting. A lot of the people in the San Francisco Bay Area, they do know, you know, Burmese food because of, um, you know, our restaurants and a lot of uh, other restaurants that are opening. Um, There are a lot of people who've never had Burmese food who are still learning, you know, and eating Burmese food for the first time. Um, I think tea leaf salad, tea leaf salad is really interesting. It's basically eat your tea. Nowhere else in the world, you know, I think uh, eat their tea. So fermented tea, you know, mixed with uh, a lot of different nuts and crunchies. It's really interesting. You know, at uh, Sunset Magazine, I think, ranked that as one of the, actually, the best salad of the West. And they also had, you know, a lot of people say it, it's, there's a party in your mouth. It's, a, it's, a, it's a maybe next level uh, salad in America. So, I, you know, I, I don't know how to really describe it. But people do really love the, uh, the unique flavor of the fermented tea leaf and all the crunchies that comes with it. Fried garlic, chickpea, onion. And um, sesame seed all mixed in, you know, with the romaine lettuce. And and what I would jump in, too, is um, another thing that people might not understand about Burmese food is actually how accessible it is, um, especially when you're cooking it. Because I think a lot of times people are intimidated by having, um, say, a a Japanese cookbook, a Chinese cookbook, a Thai cookbook. Do I have to have all these ingredients? Do I have to, you know, spend hours and days making these dishes? And, 
you know, especially when it comes to the curries, they're some of the most simple but satisfying curries I think I've made from from Southeast Asia. And you can get all the ingredients pretty easily. If you can find turmeric and paprika, onions, vegetable oil, you can make a lot of these curries. Yeah, and if you don't have the time, there's always quick stir fries. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk more about curries, kabats, samosas, and mohinga. <laughs> we'll be right back. One Hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. One Hundred Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment. 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here again with Desmond Tan and Kate Leahy of the wonderful cookbook and restaurant in San Francisco, Burma Superstar. Now, we're going to kind of go over the menu. A lot of people know what curries are. Kabats are kind of like kebabs. But the samosa is one of the most versatile dumplings I've ever seen because it shows up in salads, in soups, fried on their own. Talk to me about what a samosa is and why it is so versatile. Well, I think uh, what's interesting about, especially a city like Yangon, um, is that it was a very multicultural city for years. In the 1920s, um, at least half the population was from South India. And I think that's when the samosa revolution hit Yangon and spread, because what's not to like about something that's filled and fried and crispy, um, but... Like a lot of um, Burmese salads, um, a lot of the salads were created about around figuring out how to use ingredients to the, you know, so you don't waste anything. So you have these samosas one day, maybe they're offered as a snack. Then how do you repurpose them? Well, you can put them in a soup or you can slice them up and put them in a salad. So the soup really is is sort of um, just another way. It's like, oh, we want to add texture. Again, it's like the layering of textures. We want to add textures to the soup. There are these spices in the samosa. Maybe we'll put those in the broth. And it'll kind of echo. And so you get the, the spices in the broth, the spices in the samosa, and you get the texture benefits. So, you know, and then you can just eat them by themselves because they're yeah. just delicious. I feel like, you know, Desmond, you're not having, you know, been versed at cooking. That's something that maybe you'd have stowed in your fridge, in your freezer, you know, a, a quick late night bite or, or your home for lunch. Do you feel like you can prepare a samosa? Um, it, it's basically, you know, pounded uh, potato with uh, different spices, and you could add uh, chicken, peas, you know, or um, lamb, or lamb mixed with beef. You know, yeah, it's uh, it's easy eat, you know, quick fix, and uh, or you could eat it the way that um, you know Kate Lee he was, Kate was mentioning, or just simply dip it with sauce, and it's great. 
And, you know, I think the, one of the most popular dish that we have at the restaurant is called samosa soup. You know, the samosa, potato, flaffles, and and uh, cabbage, a lot of different things all goes. It kind of looks like pozole if you actually look <laughs> yeah. at it and you see this bowl, this great big brimming bowl with some cabbage on top. At first, you're like, pozole? Oh, no, this is samosa soup. <laughs> yeah. Don't you... Don't you Aren't you excited to get to the point where someone's like, oh, this kind of looks like samosa soup, <laughs> using that as a reference point, you know, because as, as Burmese food becomes more and more popular and big thanks to what you've done in this country, um, I think people are seeing these ingredients even cross-curricularly. Like, I know now you guys sell your fermented tea leaves in the jar. Right. Um, have you seen that kind of enter other cuisines? Um, yes. You know, actually, um, some of the main um, Amer- Western restaurants, I um, uh, Cavalier in San Francisco. You know they have um, different restaurants, multiple restaurants, and I've heard that they're using the tea leaf salad in the restaurant. And uh, I actually, you know, we're, um, we're really flattered that um, I think a lot of um, restaurants are experimenting with the fermented tea leaf and uh, you know different um, you know Burmese uh, flavors and making a fusion and. Uh, uh, we're we're working on um, expanding the uh, fermented tea leaf um, distributed throughout the uh, the country. You know, at the moment, so yeah. make it available for other people in New York to enjoy. Because that's places. the first question when I was telling friends in San Francisco I was working on the book. They said, well, "What are you going to do about the tea leaf salad? No one can get tea leaf. <laughs> I mean, you have to go to Yangon, and you know, it was like a Samsonite ingredient. You really had to put it in your suitcase, fly back with it, and that's how you got." I mean, and that's what Burmese restaurants have been doing for a long time until you figured out a way to... <laughs> yeah, so our, our um, travelers are, cannot meet our demand because they're, uh, we, we need a lot of tea leaf salad. And also, you know, because uh, some of the, the ingredients are a little bit questionable directly from Burma and um, artificial coloring, preservatives, and the... Um, and a um, huge amount of MSG that goes into it. So um, we're, we're producing something that that's all natural, and uh, that's going to be available in, in, in the U.S., different states, different regions. So you walk around San Francisco, and there are a lot of Vietnamese restaurants, and you can get, like, pho at every corner. You must be excited for the day where you can get mohinga at every corner, which you kind of consider like Vietnamese pho. I mean, you know, I, I think it's very different. I think uh, Vietnamese Vietnamese pho it's 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 um, really interesting dish, really satisfying. Um, it, it but it's with it's a clear broth chicken broth dish. It's a it's a broth it's a chicken broth dish that's you know cooked over many many hours. Whereas uh, mohinga is different. Mohinga is cooked. Um, um, it, not chicken, but we use uh, catfish. You, you stew catfish many hours until the catfish is broken down, you know, along with onion and you know a lot turmeric and a lot of different flavors, and uh, it all comes, you know, to, um, um, it, it's very different. You know, I wouldn't say that it's anywhere near close to. Um, the pho. I think where it comes, where it is like pho is the, the idea that you can eat it for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, mm-hmm. and especially for breakfast. And in, um, in Yangon, everywhere you go, you can get mohinga, and the best stalls are the ones that have the lines. Just yeah. like in any city, you see the line, you want to get in the line, because that's where the good stuff is. And, and I think that's what, if, if, if people really like that idea of, of broth and noodles, the, the difference is definitely the texture. The broth is a thicker, a thicker broth, but... 
you have a broth, you have rice noodles. Um, and yeah, that's, then, yeah. So that's what I was thinking. I, I think um, Vietnamese pho is, um, it, I, I think it's easier to eat. I think maybe the mohinga might be a little bit of an acquired taste. Yeah, but I mean, eventually, I'm assuming you're going to open up a little breakfast pop-up that people can line up I've and get a little him. cup yeah. of... Yeah, I'm bugging you now on air to do that as well. I'm sure people will line up for some breakfast. Uh, it'll we'll be an up. interesting idea. And we'll we'll yeah. earmark that. Yeah. <laughs> pair, pair it with the, uh, the, the Mia Marti, the, the sweetened with condensed and evaporated milk, and then you have some samosas, maybe some platha, the flatbread. Yes, and I, I mean, want to talk about platha because you, you have a very special person behind the platha as well, Harsan. And I'm a huge bread guy, and tasting that for the first time, too, I mean, the world has flatbreads, but this this is very distinct and different and just kind of luscious and layered. Um, is this what you grew up eating, and how is it replicated well, it, in San Fran? It, it's, um, it's influenced from you know, Indian culture. Uh, Hassan is uh, Burmese, who, who is of Indian descent, um, but he was raised in uh, Thailand. Re- Thailand's a refugee camp. So, um, you know, while he was in camp, you know, he learned how to make the plata, goes around, you know, Thai streets and, and started selling these plata. Um, and, and with, inside a plata car, he would make some on the street. So uh, he immigrated to U.S. and, uh, and approached us about a uh, job in the kitchen. And we realized that, wait a minute, this guy can do the plata really well. So um, he became our plata man. <laughs> I think maybe Kate could. You know, explain the rest right. I of mean, the techniques. He has a pretty good setup. So um, Burma Superstar has a, an Oakland restaurant. And just on the second floor of that Oakland restaurant, Harsan would set up, you know, his flour, his, you know, his butter, his oil, everything he needed to make the, the dough. Wait, and- Korean TV. Oh, oh, yeah, the soap operas. So he would watch the soap operas. I was tasting that the last time I had coffee. (laughs) So he he can be left alone, and he makes the dough, and no one bothers him. It's like, and he gets to watch his soaps. I mean, it's he has kind of the perfect baker world, except he does it at night. And um, the dough he he makes, and he makes it in this really cool, um, you know, basically in in the cookbook, I put a modified way to make it because I asked him how long it takes to stretch the dough and it's stretching it. You almost throw it like a, uh, an expert pizza maker throws a pizza dough. He takes this dough and throws it with a flick of his wrists and it becomes this, um, translucent sheet. Um, and, and he told me it takes a month to learn how to do that. I bet it takes longer. So <laughs> I decided to kind of like, maybe we do do a stretching technique and it works and it tastes great. But, you know, seeing him do it and watching him is, is pretty spectacular. And he just thinks, of course, like, well, it's no big deal. So he gets this sheet of dough and he drizzles it with his butter and oil mixture and he folds it. And then and then when it's ready to be griddled, he flattens it out again. And it becomes like um, what Desmond, you would describe as like a... Burmese croissant because yeah. it's the flaky layers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so wonderful. I mean, it is like it's laminated dough and it's just beautiful. And I, I kind of want to point out, Kate, that you were a fantastic cook in your own right, having worked in you know restaurants like A16, uh, Terra in St. Helena, Radius in Boston. So to, to write a book like this and Desmond to have a kitchen staff that didn't really have a manual, this convergence of someone who knew how to cook and really wanted to learn more about how to cook this and someone who wanted this recorded isn't just a cookbook or a tome. This is kind of a revelation of, you know, two different skill sets coming together. That that must have been like a really wonderful juncture. I've learned so much. I mean, I, I just 
and it also helps me get out of my comfort zone. So the first day of, on the job, after I had learned that there were no written down recipes in the restaurants, because the, the staff didn't turn over. The staff was all cross-trained in all the stations. They didn't need a recipe booklet. And there were so many, it was a multi-language restaurant. So if it was written down in English, who's really going to be looking at it? It could be in Burmese. It could be in a regional uh, uh, ethnic dialect from from Myanmar, like Chin or uh, Shan. Um, so, or in any number of languages. So they didn't need the manual, but I needed the manual because then it would give me a starting point. So the first day on the job, I go in the kitchen, I have my notebook and, um, you know, the kitchen manager told, had been told I was coming in, but the cooks didn't know who I was (laughs) and they thought I was the health department. So I come in and it's just like, who, who are you? And why are you asking all these questions? Yeah. But and you have a clean bathroom, and that's yeah. all that really matters. <laughs> well, I think they, they probably thought uh, Kate was a um, maybe from health department because she's Caucasian, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. that's true. Yeah, that. But it, it, and also, they probably just thought, well, why is she so interested in learning all these recipes? But it's always great to step out of your comfort zone and learn how other people put together dishes, build the flavors of dishes. And, um, and every, every restaurant does it differently. It's like learning a whole new language in any restaurant, but especially in a, in a, in a cuisine that I wasn't uh, immersed in. And I feel like I'm still learning now when I talk to people about Burmese food, it's like, Oh, I wish I had the book back. I would have put that vegetable recipe in there. Yeah. So it's ongoing. Yeah. Well, you know, at least your family, can, can revel in the fact that Burma superstar will never die. That that cuisine is always going to be you know uh, bound in, in, in this book. So you know they can cook it themselves. They can hire their own staff and open up their own Burmese restaurant. But it, it is here for the future of Burmese cuisine. It's it's really nicely done book. I think Kate did a great job. And uh, Tensby Random House. Those people are just wonderful to work with. Yeah. And we're really proud of the book. Yeah, as you should be, and the restaurants. Um, But I want to end on a fascinating note. You were telling me before the show, um, you know, not being a cook and being a restaurateur and walking around, one of your maybe not favorite things to do, but something that you do to keep the quality of Burma Superstar so high is you kind of work in the dish pit. But you have a very distinct position in there. Well, you know, when I first came to the country, you know... um, I worked at Round Table Pizza. You know, I did dishes. I actually enjoy doing dishes because a lot of immediate gratification. A bunch of dirty piled things that comes in your way, and you're the guy that you know cleans it up. And there's a something to be said about immediate gratification. You know, so anyway, so I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know a lot about the restaurant. But you know, so after my daytime job, I go back to the restaurant. In the evening, and the only I did the only thing that I knew how to do, which is just bus table and um, and uh, and do dishes. In those days, it wasn't that busy, so I was able to do both. But while you know doing busing and doing dishes, I was able to see the dishes that people didn't enjoy eating. They didn't enjoy it, you know. Like uh, there, there are two levels. One, maybe they're you know like if they're full, they would t- they want to take it back, and because it's so good. If they're full, they don't want it. Or if they they didn't order and they didn't take it back, so that that tells me a lot. You know, which dishes are are maybe questionable, which dishes we should get rid of. You know, you, you learn a lot about those things. So, um, but then I also ate every dishes that came back that people didn't take back. So I'll taste it. You know, I think I can identify. You know, what's wrong, what's not wrong. And learn about consistencies. I don't know how to cook, but you know, I, I have a pretty good taste. But 
So you know, I would taste it every single every single dish, to a point later our busboy, you know. But then before I eat it, I'll peek out to see、um, you know the the people who.、Um, Who are returning the dishes are maybe clean, not clean. <laughs> so I mean, if they're raggedy, not clean, so I probably wouldn't need it. Yeah. So,、um, but then, so I did it so often. You know, our busboy Santos. Uh, uh, before I go out, then he would just tell me, "It's okay. You could eat it. They're okay." <laughs> yeah. I always wondered why there was a little less of my food when I sent it back to the kitchen to be wrapped up. I'm a, I'm the former. I always order、right. too much just so I've. Extra to take home, right? right. You, you learn to、uh, kind of calculate those. Yeah, and, uh, is it be, they're returning because、um, they they order too much or they didn't order too much? How many people are sitting, you know, on the table? So anyway, so I, I think、uh, that that was one of the um, um, that was a good learning、um, kind of、uh, like、a factor. Yeah, and yeah. I also think it shows that it's good enough for the owner to eat. And I, I really do think it's just a ruse because you just want more mohinga. The problem the is no, now everyone in the di- in Burma Superstore dining room is going to think, "Oh my god, they're looking at me to see what、yeah. I left on my plate." <laughs> I so, doubt there are many plates that are returned that aren't cleared because it is so delicious. Thank you, thanks. And this book is so gorgeous. And on top of going to Burma Superstore in San Francisco, getting this book.、Um, Everyone should travel to Burma. the The scenes in this book are outstanding, but you know it, it only recently opened up, and there's so much more to explore. and I, I hope this is just the beginning of the proliferation of Burmese cuisine in the states. I hope so too. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope that、uh, maybe this a lot of people would have、um, would be curious about Burma, visiting Burma, you know, because of our restaurants and because of the book. So. Uh, Absolutely. Well, I'll go there when you guys do book tour in Burma. I'll come along. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you again, Desmond, Kate. You've been listening to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network dot org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Derkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three. And thank you to Cookies for the music and David Tatashore Engineering. Cheers. Thank you. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.